Hello everybody and welcome back. We're here at the end of game week seven to relive some of the fantastic games that we witnessed this week. I'm here with my friend Joe as always. Hey there guys. And we're going to hit you with some more analysis, some talking points of the week and a little look forward to game week eight. So some of the things that we'll be discussing this week, no doubt, will be the case of Todd Durley. Zeke and the Cowboys and how some hot sauce derailed an interview. We'll uh, talk about COVID Cam, the fastest QB in the NFL. And talking about speed, we can't ignore uh, DK Metcalf and his stunning chase down. And then I'm sure Joe as well will find a way to talk about interior linemen as he often does. So with that in mind, Joe, why don't you lead us into the first game? Yeah, so we'll start with Thursday night's game, Giants versus Eagles. Last week, the Giants had won against a divisional rival by a singular point. This week, they lost to a divisional rival by a singular point. So they beat Washington last week. This week against the Eagles, lost 22-21. Quite a few talking points from the game, Chaz. Is there anything you want to start with? It's got to be Wentz, hasn't it? I mean, he was, as Wentz so often is, to be honest, had an absolutely stunning fourth quarter, but wow, did he try very hard to throw this game to begin with. Yeah, I think that this game could have been a lot less close had Wentz played at a higher quality all through the game. Now, we've got friends that we've been chatting to the last week and one of our friends, Miles, he made a point about that final pass for the win was an absolute bullet. And it was. But I mean, let's let's just flip back to the second quarter. Wentz is on the uh, 20-yard line, it's 2-15. and 15. All right, there's a bit of distance to go, but you've got downs. There was 4 minutes 45 left in the half, plenty of time. And he throws the ball out to a player who I think was in like quad coverage, it seemed. Bradbury made an interception. It was, at the very least, he threw away three points there. And, you know, there were plays like that by Wentz throughout the game. He's going to walk away with the win here, but this isn't a win that does anything really to uh, take away the questions that have been swirling around him through the first half of this season. I completely agree. If anything, I think the questions are intensified. He missed Fulgham a bunch of times for touchdown opportunities. He was lucky he didn't get pick sixed on a pass that he threw way across the field in one play. He did not have a good game, but as is often the case with Wentz, he did some seriously impressive stuff at the end of the game that almost papered over the cracks. And I think that if people aren't paying too much attention, they'll look at that glossy stuff and they'll think that he's a good quarterback. But I think there's some real underlying concerns there. I think that this was a game that if you're a Wentz fan, there was enough in there to keep you fighting his corner. But if you're a Wentz trooper, like, I'll be honest, I am. This, I feel, did more to strengthen my case of problems with Wentz's game. He's certainly not a lost cause, but it definitely feels like this has been a regression year for him. Talking about quarterbacks who are facing a lot of pressure and have a lot of questions around him, Daniel Jones. What did you think of his game, Charles? Well, he's seemingly a sprinter, Joe, from what we saw. So I just want to bring something in here. So I obviously watch Pro Football Talk, you know, like to see what the competition are up to, see what Florio and Sims are saying. Now, talking about a different game, Chris Sims said on the show that Murray, Vic and Jackson are the fastest QBs in history. Fact. They're not Chris Sims. (laughs) This season, no one has run faster than Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones reached a top speed of 20.64 miles per hour. No quarterback has run faster than Daniel Jones since 2018. Exactly. So in all the time that Kyler Murray has been playing football, that is the fastest that any quarterback has run. If you look at the seven fastest times logged by a quarterback this season so far, three of them are held by Daniel Jones. So this wasn't just a flash in the pan either. Three of them are held by Daniel Jones with the other four held by Lamar Jackson. Those two are the two fastest quarterbacks in the league. And you might not think it to look at him, but Daniel Jones can certainly run. Yeah, he just needs to stay upright, doesn't he? (laughs) I mentioned he's a player who is facing a lot of pressure right now. The Giants are sitting on a pretty bad record. It's quite probable that they're going to have a high pick in the draft next year. So he's sitting on the hot seat slightly. Had he just managed to finish that play, had he managed to run a further 10 yards, that would have done so much to answer some of the criticism. Seeing a quarterback run for 90 yards, which it would have been for a touchdown, does a lot to allay concerns. As it was, falling over 10 yards shy of a line turns is a hero to zero play because it's a comedy rule. And for the rest of his career, that will get shown again and again. 
Uh, yes and no. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. They'll bring that one out of the old video banks. I still think the feat itself was impressive and they did then go on to score. So I don't think it's quite hero to zero. Yeah, no, true. And I will agree with that. And just to back up how impressive it was, that's the longest run by a quarterback in Giants history. Had they not converted the VR touchdown three plays later, it would definitely be a much different story. For sure. It would have got a lot of casuals off his back had he converted that. That's basically all I'm saying there. Next game we'll move on to one of the Sunday 6 o'clock games, Lions-Falcons. Another game that was decided by a singular point, but in quite a different fashion. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we spoke in the last podcast how the Eagles-Giants game was one you were going to catch up on a bit of sleep because of the amount of late nights that you have been having. And you mentioned that you watch quite a bit of college football on the Saturday now as well. Did you happen to watch the Penn State game this Saturday? This week was trying to be a Joe Catches Up on Sleep week. I didn't see the Penn State game. I heard about what happened. But uh, do you want to talk it through for our listeners, Chaz? It was an absolute mirror image of what happened in the Falcons game, where Penn State threw away a potential win because their running back accidentally scored a touchdown instead of falling short of the goal line so that his team could just kneel down to win the game. In this situation... Gurley had to fall short so that they could kick to win. But wow, what a clangor. You can forgive it when it's college players at college. They're youngsters, they'll be rookies a year later. They perhaps, you know, don't have this kind of game sense yet. For a seasoned veteran like Gurley, though, I mean, that's not a mistake that he should be making, is it? But that must have been something that they discussed in the huddle before they took that play. It wasn't like a quick snap. They were in the huddle and they were talking about what they wanted to do. So that must have come up. Look, Gurley, we're going to feed you the ball. Go down before the line. It was almost as if Gurley had a case of white line fever there, where he just saw the goal line and almost went to a kind of autonomous mode of must score. It seemed that he did realise just as he was kind of hitting the floor. Fraction too late. (laughs) And there was that awkward moment where he tried to reel it in. But uh, no, he's going to be in the doghouse. At the end of the day as well, though, look, we're putting it on Gurley. We're blaming Gurley for this. But equally, the Falcons' defence only had to shut down the Lions for 40 more seconds. With zero timeouts. Yeah, with zero timeouts. Very good point here. So we're putting a lot of this on Gurley and we're mocking Gurley. But the Falcons' D seem to be getting away quite scot-free with this. And I think they've got a lot to answer for as well. It just shows kind of how fragile that team is, how much their confidence has been absolutely ruined by the amount of defeats they've snatched from the jaws of victory this year. This is a psychologically shot team. Going back to something that I mentioned a couple of shows ago, I was talking about the win percentages and just how I'm not a big fan of them at all. And this was another game where the Falcons had an astronomical win percentage. At the point... Just before Gurley touched the ball, the Falcons were 96.6% likely to beat Detroit, if you believe that. This is the third time now they've been over 95% to win a game and have lost it. They were 99.9% against Dallas, 99.3% against Chicago, and 96.6% at Detroit. Proof again, if anything, that those win percentages are a load of nonsense, especially when applied to the Falcons. Don't believe them, kids. A couple of other things I just want to finish on with this game. Draw attention to Matt Prater. He had himself a day converted on kicks of 49 yards, 50 yards and 51 yards. Just a nice little hat-trick of kicks there. I can't go a week without talking about interior linemen. Last week, we mentioned on the show how Stafford wasn't sacked once against Jacksonville and we praised the offensive line. The Lions have played a rotation in their offensive line all through the season. They haven't seemed to be able to settle on five players. This week, they did settle on five players. They settled on Decker and Crosby at tackle, then Ragnall, Jackson and Vitae in the interior. However, with those players starting 100% of the snaps, those five guys, they gave up two sacks, so maybe the rotation was working better. Mm, one to watch out for. So that then brings us to the Browns and the Bengals, which, again, another very close game and one that we'd sort of called either side. The Browns managed to walk away with it in the end. But I mean, at the beginning, it looked like a bit of a horror show. Both QBs had disaster starts with picks and fumbles, but they both had very impressive, strong finishes. What were your thoughts on this, Joe? Yeah, so just a drop of stats on that. Mayfield started the game 0-5 and for an interception. He finished 22 of 28. So if you do the math there, he had a 21 completion streak to finish the game off. And in that, he threw five TDs, three of which were in the final quarter. He had a monster recovery. 
Mayfield is a player who you went into a season quite hot on. You thought that he was, you know, taking that step forward. He disappointed you the first few games, took a step back. It seems that Mayfield is becoming slightly a Jekyll and Hyde player. We've seen him play this good in a couple of games already this year. Actually, we saw him play this good the last time the Browns played the Bengals. We've seen him play really, really good against the Cowboys. When Mayfield does fire, he's great. Last week, he was trash. It's really, really hard to kind of predict what he's going to do next. What's your view on him now, Charles? Have you changed from your kind of early up on him? Yeah, I've changed. I hold him or held him in fantasy. I'm just at the point of despair now. I let him go last week. He puts up mega points this week. But that's not going to convince me to pick him back up again. I think we have to remember he threw those five touchdowns against a Bengal team with their two top cornerbacks out and their top cornerbacks aren't anything to write home about. Do you know what I mean? I just don't think that this is a convincing performance. It shows that he's got it in his locker, but under any form of pressure, he just can't be relied on. And for that reason, I just don't think he can be a reliable quarterback. Well, I'm just going to throw a few things out there to challenge that, Charles. So you mentioned the Bengals cornerbacks there. The touchdowns that Mayfield threw actually weren't really against the cornerbacks. He threw five touchdowns. Four of those touchdowns were against players who weren't wide receivers, who weren't up against the cornerbacks. Two of his touchdowns went to tight end Harrison Bryant. One went to tight end David Njoku. And one went to running back Hunt. So that's four out of five players that he threw touchdowns to that probably weren't lined up against cornerbacks. He spread the ball out a lot. Now, when Russell Wilson did this earlier in the season and threw touchdowns to five different players, we were talking about how great that was. Mayfield had 28 attempts and the most he had targeted one player was only six. Mayfield, in my view, in this game, I know that you've got this kind of fantasy angst against him, but I think this was probably the most complete performance from Mayfield for a long time. He came back in the fourth quarter three times. The lead changed hands five times in the fourth quarter. I mean, absolute clutch to go down the field three times and get that lead back. He put the team on his shoulders, which I think that he's failed to do a lot of times. And I agree with that, but under very little pressure. And we know that when Mayfield's pressured, he holds on to the ball too long or he panics and gets picked. So I just felt that it looked like a training game to him and he performed in training. But I think when he comes up against teams that pass rush or deliver more pressure than the Bengals will, I think he'll come unstuck again. But I mean, that's only one we can wait and see what happens. Yeah, look, mate, I'm not calling him elite here. I'm not saying that he's Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson level. I'm I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying that for most of the podcast this year, we've been criticising him. We've been kind of rubbing him in the dirt. We've not had much good to say about him. Got to give credit where credit is due. He played against yeah. what he played against. You know, you can only beat what's up in front of you, but he did everything you could have possibly asked after that terrible start. Yeah. So there were two more things that I wanted to discuss in this game. One is Boyd and Green. So Boyd got a touchdown, which he must be delighted about. Yep. Finally getting used by the Bengals. And Green didn't get a touchdown, but he certainly saw plenty of receptions, got a lot of action. 13 targets. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that was a deliberate decision made by the people calling the shots to try and appease these two players that have been seen to want out of Cincinnati? And do you think that this change in approach, if this is to be a consistent thing going forward, is enough to appease them and make them want to stay? Let's be honest, right? The Bengals aren't going to do anything this season. They're not going to do anything at all. You're in a division there with the Ravens, with the Steelers who are on an absolute flyer now. You've got Browns who are 5-2. and two. Bengals are not making playoffs. So you're looking at where you're going to end up in the draft. You're looking at the highest pick you can possibly get. Green, I think, will still go. I think that Burrow likes thrown to him, but I think he's gone. I think that he's worth more in trade than it is worth keeping him. Boyd is a player they do want to keep, but again, I don't think that the game script, him getting 13 targets, was a cynical ploy to make him happy. I think that's just how it went. Burrow is a kind of player who will go through his looks. He's that kind of pocket passer who has target one, target two. He was looking at AJ Green target one, and if he was covered, he was looking at target two, Tyler Boyd. And that's how he plays. I think that there'll be more games that are like that while those two are still there. But it's not a purposeful move by the organisation or by Burrow to try and keep these guys happy. 
Yeah. And then with OBJ out for the rest of the season, what do you think that means for Mayfield and for Landry? It's a nice kind of narrative that a lot of these talking heads are coming out with uh, with OBJ not on the field. It gives Mayfield this kind of freedom because he doesn't feel obliged to throw to OBJ. I don't really buy that. I think, you know, look at a couple of games earlier on. Like I mentioned some of those monster games that Mayfield had earlier on against the Cowboys, against the Bengals. He was like lighting up with OBJ in both of those games. So look, I think in the grand scheme of things, overall, it's going to be negative for Mayfield. I think Mayfield would readily admit that he'd be much happier if OBJ was on the field because it just gives him more kind of opportunities, more chances for big plays. I think that it's bad for Landry because Landry is now a man that opposing teams will look at as a wide receiver one and will be putting him in double coverage more. I can't see this being a good thing for the Browns. And I think that if people kind of argue differently, they're just saying it for a kind of hot take. I completely agree with that. I think that it's going to be harder for teams to stay honest defensively against the Browns now. I think they're going to expect them to turn a lot to the run game. I think they're going to, like you said, expect the ball to either go to Landry or one of the tight ends. I think they're going to be able to figure the Browns out quicker. Yeah, and I think when you look at kind of what Kevin Stefanski has kind of dealt with in the past, the last two seasons that he was in Minnesota, both of those seasons were kind of injury seasons for both Diggs and Phelan. So whereas the Vikings did have a very vicious one-two punch there when both those guys were on the field, for most of those last two seasons, one or the other of them was injured. And so when that was the case, Stefanski kind of went more into his two tight end sets, which, you know, in honest truth, I said that this will hurt Landry. In those seasons where either Diggs was injured or where Phelan were injured, the other player generally had you know, monster games and they got targeted a lot and they did quite well from it. So I'm not saying for sure that Landry will see negative effects. He probably will have more volume now. He probably will get more targets, but it's what Stefanski does. And I can see him just going back more to that kind of play action, two tight end set formula now. Let's move on then to the Packers against the Texans. I mean, that went exactly as people thought it would, right? Exactly how people thought it would. How often does Rodgers have two bad games? And against the Texans as well. You know, we knew that they weren't going to put up much resistance. You know, the only thing that kind of didn't go as we expected, we didn't see Jones being injured. Had Jones been on the field, we'd probably seen a lot more run. The Texans, for whatever reason, just decided to not really bother covering Devante Adams. (laughs) I know. It's almost like they've only looked at Green Bay play this season. And Adams has been injured for most of it. So if they got that, he existed maybe and just didn't game plan for him. Adams had absolutely destroyed them. He had a monster day. What was it? Something like 187 yards, two TDs. Yeah, huge. it was crazy. Absolutely huge. It's really not too much to say to this. It kind of went as before. Rodgers was back to being Rodgers. The Packers don't have two bad games straight. Formulaic really, isn't it? The thing that I did quite like was Randall Cobb having a day against his old team. <laughs> He was one of the few shining lights for the Texans, led the team in receiving with eight catches for 95 yards. And it's just nice to see a player go out against his old team and and have a good game. Yeah, I agree with you. Randall Cobb's a player that I've got plenty of love for. He's dummy solids in fantasy over the years. So yeah, good for him. So on to Saints at the Panthers. And Joe, I think you had this one closest. You backed the Saints to win, but you did it with a heavy heart and they just snuck over the line. Yeah, so a relatively exciting game in that it could have gone either way right up to the end. Main thing to talk about, I think, really were how the Panthers were competitive. And I predicted that last week, but I didn't say it with, you know, too much confidence. But Bridgewater, this is almost kind of what I said about him, is that he's a competitor, but he's not got that kind of killer edge. He'll stay in games, but then he won't do that kind of fourth quarter drive to win the game. And that's kind of what happened here. It just kind of petered out. I don't have loads to say on this game, but what I do have something to talk about here, I just want to bring it into our conversation. The Saints in 2021 had cap space of negative 78 million. They need to clear 78 million off their books just to hit the cap next year. This season is absolute boom or bust for the Saints. This team is going to get broken up come the end of the season. So they're now, at, what, they're now four and two. They're sitting in a division that's competitive with the Bucks looking extremely good. Uh, Falcons not so but Panthers are there or thereabouts they're probably not going to get home field in the playoffs because that's probably going to go to the Bucks unless something drastic happens I mean the Bucks have got an easy schedule for the rest of the year this is an absolute Super Bowl or bust season for the Saints so it's almost like the last ride for a lot of these players 
I didn't know that about the Saints at all. And to be quite honest, now knowing that, you've got to be disappointed with the performances they're churning out because these are not the performances of a team that has to win it all, at all. I think the way that some players are responding to it, because players know this, right? Players know that a lot of the guys who they're suiting up with, a lot of the guys who are in the changing room, people who are their friends, are not going to be around. Some players, not naming names, and Michael Thomas aren't really responding to it in the best way. Fan, I put it this way. If I was a Saints fan, I wouldn't be buying a Saints jersey because chances are a player on the back of it is not going to be there. Yeah. I mean, I actually did think that Teddy Bridgewater played well. I mean, his stat line read quite well. I was actually going to ask you if your position had softened at all and you thought he was better than he was, but uh, clearly not. <laughs> it's not that I don't think he's a good player. It's not that I have anything against him. It's just, let's put it this way. If the Panthers had to go 80 yards and I had to put a bet on that for them to do it, I would not want to put that bet. Well, I mean, Bridgewater threw a 74-yard bomb to DJ Moore. Yeah, but that was more kind of DJ Moore and just putting the burners on. He's capable. He's a decent player, but I see him as nice guy smiling Teddy Bridgewater, not, you know, someone like Mr. Unlimited who's going to win your games. Okay, then. Right, let's move on then to the Bills against the Jets. Now, listen, I don't want to spend too long talking about this. I know you don't want to spend too long talking about this. One thing I did want to bring up, though, and you had your tin hat conspiracy moment the other week. The money line was minus 10. (laughs) Okay, the game ended 18-10, despite the fact that the Bills outgunned the Jets by 300 yards and yet conveniently failed to make that minus 10. Mate, we're talking about money lines here. Let's just go back to something quickly. You might remember last week I told people to bet on the over for the uh, Green Bay-Houston game. Yeah. I, you know, put my money where my mouth was and I bet on the over. The under-over was 55.5. So I was... (laughs) pretty disappointed by that game oh, no. uh, <laughs> yeah yeah look the Jets game though yeah weird one do you know how many offensive yards the Jets had in the second half no it can't have been many because I don't think they had many altogether why don't you take a guess but I'll give you help here you only need to use one hand no you're kidding four yards mate four yards was all they managed in the second half no way yeah yeah this is a team with issues and yet still only lost by some field goals. Yeah, uh, the Bills didn't score a touchdown, did they? They were six field goals that they kicked to get 18 points, wasn't it? Yeah. The only question I have for you on this one, uh, what do you put it down to? Aside from your tin foil hat conspiracies, do you put it down to the Bills just going through a real kind of bad patch right now? Or were the Jets slightly more competitive than they have been in previous weeks? You started talking about the decline of the Bills last week. We're seeing the continuation of that. I don't think that the Jets did anything impressive to make this an 18-10 game. Bills just got to the Jets' territory and then crumbled all the time. I don't think it was um, a stellar performance by the Jets necessarily. Okay, and then to follow on from that, where do you see the Bills ending up now? So we've seen them play pretty badly over the last two weeks. They were 5-0, and they're 5-2 now. They're still sitting atop the AFC East, actually by two games, because the Dolphins are only 3-3 three three or a game and a half. Where do you see this Bills team finishing up? Do you know what is going to be really hard to call? Is We know that Tua is coming into play next week. Yes, yep. And that is such an unknown entity. I would say if they kept Fitzpatrick in and you know brought Tua in when Fitzpatrick started to dip, I would say that the Bills might have had some competition from the Dolphins. And I'm not saying that that isn't the case moving forward. I'm just saying I don't know until I've seen Tua play in the NFL. The first, what, four, five game weeks of the Bills performing, I was surprised by how good they were and how good Josh Allen was. He's starting to revert to form a little bit for me. Yep. I think they're starting to become a bit more of an average team and I think the Dolphins have the potential to catch them let's wait and see what they do and how good Tua is in the NFL 
Yeah, they've not got an easy schedule because the AFC East is matched up against the NFC West this year in the fixture list. So aside from a doubleheader against the Patriots, and again, we'll come to the Patriots later, the Bills still have to play the Seahawks. They still have to play the Cardinals. They still have to play the 49ers. And they've also got the Steelers as well. So there's four very, very tough games that they've got coming up there. I mean, it's still feasible for the Bills to end up with a neutral record, something like an 8-8. Yeah. I can see that. If the Patriots sort themselves out, and they'll have to do it pretty quick because they'll have to do it by Sunday, but Patriots fix things, lose both those games, lose to Seahawks, lose to the Cardinals, lose to the 49ers, lose to the Steelers, then you're going to end up 8-8 if you beat the Chargers, Broncos, and Dolphins. I'm not saying that is the case, but for Bills from a 5-0 and start, I think we'll struggle to get past 10 wins. You could be right there. Let's see how that pans out. It'll be interesting to see if they can right the ship or if they're on a collision course for an ugly record from a 5-0 and start. Mm. Talking of ugly records, let's move on to the Redskins and Cowboys, shall we? Uh, 25-3. Washington football team, mate. You can't call them Redskins. Oh, you're absolutely right. There's me making the clanger now. Can't believe I've done it. After all this time. I've, I've pulled you up on it so many times and now so I've, many times. I've fallen victim to it. Yeah, you've fallen into your own trap. Right. We have said a lot about the Cowboys' defense over the last few weeks. So I don't think we need to go into too many statistics to no. remind the listeners how bad they are. We know that. But that said, to make it a little bit different this week, uh, I'm going to play a little game with you, Charles. Let's do it. I'm going to give you two teams. And you've got to tell me if the combined points those two teams have conceded is more or less than what the Cowboys have conceded. Okay. Okay, so start with an easy one. Have the Ravens and San Francisco conceded together more or less points than what the Cowboys have this season? Uh, You see, the Ravens, I don't think, have conceded a lot. San Fran have given up some big score games, but I would still say Cowboys have given up more. Correct. Next one, Colts and Steelers. Again, I would say Cowboys because Steelers have been pretty good. Correct. And finally, the last one, Miami and the Rams. So the Rams got absolutely battered by Washington. I still would go Cowboys have been worse. Three out of three, mate. So the Cowboys in seven games this season have conceded 243 points. (laughs) Oh my God. That's over 37 points a game, worst in franchise history. That's the stuff you tell kids so that they don't sleep at night. (laughs) Yeah, Halloween's come early, right? Ravens and San Fran between them have conceded 240 points. Miami and Rams between them have conceded 237 points. And the Colts and the Steelers between them have conceded 233 points. So this is just to give an indication, just if anyone needed any reminding how bad the Cowboys D is right now. Yeah. So staying on the D just for a second and our favourite defensive coach of all time, there was a bit of an incident this week, wasn't there, (laughs) during an interview. Why don't you take us through that, Joe? Yeah, so we had a bit of an interaction. So basically I was on Twitter and it popped up that Mark Nolan had to delay a press conference because he managed to rub Tabasco sauce into his own eye. And normally when I see stuff like this, I assume that it's like a bit of a joke. It's like a troll comment. But I didn't even question it. I didn't even need to fact check it. I just knew instinctively that this wasn't a joke. And I sent it to you straight away. But yeah, Mark Nolan can't even be trusted to not rub a hot sauce into his own eye. I think it's a cover-up. I think this is Flight of the Concords, true fashion. I'm not crying. (laughs) I've just rubbed Tabasco in my eye. (laughs) Talking about coaches, right? Do you think this could be a one-and-done season for Mike McCarthy? That is a great question. I think it should be. I just don't know if they've invested in him and they know they've been hit with a lot of injuries. So they're going to call this a betting-in season. But I honestly think that it's not just the injuries. It's not just the defensive coaching. There's more issues around the general coaching which has to point to McCarthy. And part of that actually is something which I wanted to talk about around Zeke. Now, last week, he had a really bad outing with those two fumbles that absolutely 
cost his team any hope of succeeding from the very off. This week, he had a tip for a pick, which, you know, arguably the pass was behind him. But when when you've just paid this guy mega bucks for a six-year contract, it's certainly a catch that is not beyond him and shouldn't be leading to a pick. The question you've got to ask, though, is that for the Washington line that can easily be beaten with little dink passes, Zeke only received two passes. Is that not weird from a coaching perspective? Especially if Dalton or, you know, whoever's throwing the ball obviously isn't Dak. So it feels like Zeke could be a good outlet if you don't want these quarterbacks who are not the best to be throwing long passes and getting picked. But he received two targets. I just think, where's the coaching here? You would generally think that if you've got quarterbacks who have just been bought into the game, you know, Dalton is a veteran. He's seen lots of things, but he's at a new team with plays that he's not played before. You should have a check down option there and Zeke should be your check down option. You're right. It raises questions. Also as well, just in terms of coaching, when you start to have unnamed sources in the locker room moaning to journalists, that's when you know you're onto a bad thing here. Yeah. So let's briefly talk about that hit on Dalton Joe. That looked nasty. Just before we do, Charles, I just need to bring some breaking news in. This won't be breaking news when we publish this on Thursday, so apologies for our listener, but breaking news at 21.10 on a Tuesday evening, Everson Griffin has just been traded to the Detroit Lions for a sixth-round pick. Weird. I didn't see the Lions being where he ended up. (laughs) What does this say, mate? So the Cowboys are already trading away pieces. Have they given up on this season? Is this what we're seeing? Uh, I think it is, really. Their quarterback's gone. Their defence is non-existent. But you're only one game behind in the NFC East. You can still make playoffs. Yeah, but you lost 25-3 to Washington. Can you? <laughs> but you can But you can still make playoffs by just one win. <laughs> like, no one in that division should be given up. But yeah, they've just traded Griffin to the Lions. So Griffin going back to the NFC North. Mm, as a Green Bay fan, I don't love that move, I'll be honest. <laughs> right, we've been talking about these teams for a long time. I want to say the Bostic hit on Dalton was disgusting. There should be a ban with that hit. I mean, he slid. Those other kind of things the league is trying to get rid of. We talk about those. We talk about leading with a helmet. That was a disgusting hit on a prone quarterback. Yep, completely agree with you. He was on his way down. It was clear. It was a cynical, disgusting tackle. Right, let's move on. We have talked about the NFC East far too much this week. We've talked <laughs> know, about yeah. far too much. <laughs> Let's get out of this stinky division. But it's like American politics or WWE, isn't it? It's just, it's entertainment. It's great entertainment that we can't stop talking about, despite the fact that it's not really good form. Sports entertainment. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all the Dallas Cowboys are these days. <laughs> But speaking of entertainment, Steelers 27, Titans 24, I think that was probably my favourite game of the week to watch. It had a lot. It shouldn't have been entertaining when the Steelers were, what, 24-6 up, something like that? They seemed to have a game well in control. And again... Yeah, they led 27-7 early in the third quarter. This, I think, is the only Achilles heel that I think I have on my Steelers team is that they seem to just have these mental breakdowns. They've done it, what, three or four times this season now where they've had a huge lead and then have let a team back. I mean, Guskowski, if he'd made that field goal towards the end, this was going to overtime. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good that you should mention that because you talked about last week how they put the Browns to the sword and we thought that that was potentially a lesson learned. You know, they've got over the hump of this, but They've settled straight back into that position of just taking the foot off the gas in the fourth quarter, haven't they? Yeah, and they shouldn't be doing that against teams like the Titans. They should be keeping that foot on the throat all the way through the game. Look, they've got away with it, and they've got away with it a few times, but they won't get away with it for good. And they don't want it to be a playoff game where they have, you know, a 20-point lead and go and let someone like Patrick Mahomes in to score three touchdowns and beat it by point. That will happen if they keep on playing the way that they're playing. Yeah, absolutely. But they do remain the only undefeated team in the NFL. They do. A couple of quick facts about this game I just want to drop in. This was the first game for the Titans that they had no players on the COVID list. Derek Henry was nullified by the Steelers, which was you know partly one of the reasons they had so much success through the game. He had 20 rushes for 75 yards, 3.75 yards per carry in the game, which isn't anything special at all. 
But when I was looking at this, one thing I was surprised at. Now, if I say to you, Chaz, 3.75 yards per carry, you say that's pretty poor. Yeah. 4, 4.1, 4.2, that's kind of average. That's kind of where you should be at. So 3.75 yards a carry isn't great. It's actually the third best game for yards per carry that Derek Henry has had. He got 3.74 yards per carry against Denver, 3.36 yards per carry against Jacksonville, and 3 yards a carry against Buffalo. I just found that was a stat that just doesn't seem to be tying up with the narrative and what a lot of people are seeing as well. Like, I've been watching Henry and I've been thinking, wow, this guy's looking pretty dominant on the ground. He's been, you know, roughhousing players. He's been blasting any safety that comes to tackle him into different dimensions. Statistically, though, in his yards per carry, it's not all that. And I think he's just getting so much volume that people are forgetting when he's getting caught up and where he's not making those big gains. Yeah, perhaps. But interestingly, then, the flip side of that, Claypool saw just one target catch him for a two-yard loss which uh, he ended up fumbling but then recovering his own fumble which was pretty impressive but the thing that I liked about that is the Titans didn't just go well let's double Juju because he's the star and Claypool's still a rookie they went well look Claypool's seeing all the action and he's the man there at the moment so rookie or not we're double coverage in Claypool and it worked for them you know for a large part. Well, it, it worked for taking Claypool out of the game but then Deontay Johnson had himself a day. Exactly right this is what the Steelers have. This is what you've got there yeah. They've got depth so they can look to other players. Is there a better wide receiver room in football right now? <sighs> Do you know what it's a good question. I don't know whether it's the fact that they're the best wide receiver room. I think that Ben is having a season and their O-line is giving Ben time. I think there's a lot of things working together to make them a very potent offense. I, I'm not sure necessarily names on paper. They're the best wide receiver room in the league. You know what, mate? I disagree. I think that they are. Okay. I think that if you're taking three wide receivers in terms of form and in how they're playing, the Steelers are the team. Because whenever someone is double coveraged out, someone else steps up. Three players, I think depth down to your third wide receiver, I think the Steelers are the best. And we're not even talking about players like James Washington as well. Steelers, I think, have got to be the best wide receiver room in the league. I can think of teams where, you know, they've got two decent wide receivers, but no one with the depth and quality of the Steelers. Fair enough. Email the show if anyone thinks any differently. We'd love to hear your opinions on that. Yeah. I think Roethlisberger had a bit of an up and down game. He did have an up and down game. He threw for two touchdowns, had three interceptions, 32 of 49 passes, 268 yards, and a 67.4 rating. Very up and down game, really. It tied in perfectly with the Steelers' kind of narrative there of how they started off strong, started off playing well, and then just mentally showed weakness. Right. Let's move on to the Bucks at the Raiders then. 45 to 20. Brady went all out. Are you getting on this Bucks bandwagon with me yet, Jez? <sighs> you have to, don't you? You can't. Yeah. Listen, I don't want to be left at the station. Jump on. There's room for everyone. <laughs> choo choo. Fire the cannons. Let's all get on this Buck and his bandwagon. And if this wasn't impressive enough, AB's joining the crew. Yeah. Talk about throwing a match into a powder kit, okay? <laughs> this is going to be interesting because. This is all on Tom Brady, if the reports are to be believed. Brady, for some reason, he almost has that kind of girlfriend who's been cheated on mentality with, with AB that he thinks that he can change him and everyone else just sees him different. But Tom knows what he's really like and, you know, move back in with me and I'll change you. And that's what's going down there. So if this experiment fails, if it implodes, it's on Brady's shoulders. Yeah, absolutely right. But he seems confident and the Bucks are in a good place. Uh, look, worst that can happen is he causes trouble and they turf him out. True. And since he's been at the Steelers, going through the Seahawks and New England, this is still probably the best chance that he's got to go through the playoffs again. Yeah, this and is he's a good had team. some proper time away from the sport. You know, you'd like to think that he's had time to sort of consider where he's arrived in his life and what he wants to do with it. So... You know, this could be a bit of a redemption arc. Back to the game then that we witnessed. Las Vegas remained competitive for a time, but then Tampa Bay just pulled away. And uh, we've said it before, Joe, but I think in large part, it was because the Raiders' defense was no match for the Bucks. They were putting zero pressure on Tom Brady and he just had a day. Yeah. 
is the Gronk Brady connection back, Joe? So going back to what you started with there, the Buccaneers O-line, we've been saying it for a few weeks now, is looking like one of the best O-lines in football, if not the best. The Raiders, as we've said before, don't really have a pass rush. So it's a recipe for disaster, really, isn't it, if you're a Raiders fan? Brady to Gronk, it's happening again. Bruce Arians said when Gronk suited up in week one that he's looking like Gronk of five years ago. Not really the case, was it? It's, it's taken him half a season to warm up. We saw how much muscle mass Gronk had lost in the offseason. He looked like he was ill with how skinny he was in a few photos. He looked like Bane when you remove the venom, just like a deflated balloon. <laughs> yeah, he looked like one of the aliens from Space Jam after the juju juice had been sucked back out of him. He's back to football shape now. And this is what I mean, right? I thought I can stand up and say it. I was maybe wrong at the start of the season when I said that the Buccaneers hype train wasn't going to happen. But, you know, I don't mind being wrong when you can see stuff like Brady throw a pass to a Gronk. As long as you're not, you know, a fan in the AFC East, there is something just kind of cool about Seema. It's nice. It's classic football. So, look, game kind of went really how we'd probably expect it to. I don't really have loads to say. Great game from the Bucks. It's a 45-20 loss to the Raiders, but it's almost a 45-20 loss where you shouldn't have your head down too much about it. They just came up against a really, really good team. Yeah, and there were a few positives there. I mean, Nelson Aguilar kept popping up for the Raiders, which was good to see. Someone's taught him how to catch. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because I kept seeing him pop up on the screen and I felt like Obi-Wan. I was just there like, Nelson Aguilar, that's a name I haven't heard in quite a while. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, good for him. Uh, sometimes a change of scenery can, you know, do wonders for a players, including teach them how to catch, it seems. So uh, he had himself a day. Let's see if it continues. Let's go to Chiefs 43, Broncos 16. Oh. Yeah, not a game I will really want to talk loads about because, like you say, a relatively big scoreline, but the Chiefs scored 43 points, right? Patrick Mahomes' stat line was 15 of 23 for 200 yards and one touchdown. Exactly right. I was about to say, you see that score, like if you hadn't watched the game and you saw that score, you'd go, oh, yeah. Mahomes had a day, did he? Yeah. How many did Kelsey catch? How many did Hill catch? <laughs> exactly. I guess kind of like notable things for this game. Edwards Elaire had his first touchdown since, what, week one? Ended up with 46 yards, a touchdown, and 17 yards receiving. Levon Bell was in the game, 39 yards on six carries, so pretty efficient with the ball going for over six yards carry. But look, this was more about the Chiefs' special teams and defense. They had, what, a, was it a kick return or a pump return for a touchdown? I think that their defense scored a touchdown as well. Yeah. Daniel Sorensen had a pick six. Matthew had an interception. The thing that I take away from this game is that Kansas City aren't a one-man team. You don't just need Mahomes up there running things when they want to. The defense and special teams of this team can also take games away from people, which should be very, very scary to every other team in the league. And Drew Locke was absolutely dreadful. Uh, As was Melvin Gordon. Did he fumble twice? Yeah. It wasn't pretty to watch. Drew Locke, what, 254 yards, two interceptions, no touchdowns, 57.7 rating. Like you said, Gordon fumbled the ball twice and lost the ball on both those fumbles. 68 yards of 17 carries. You know, ugly stats, ugly game for the Broncos. And it it's looking more and more like John Elway once again has failed to identify what a good quarterback looks like. I don't want to be harsh on Locke. I don't want to give up on him, but he hasn't really shown much at all this season yet, has he? No, not at all. So from one blowout to the other, 49ers 33, Patriots 6. You were the one to correctly call which way this game would go. You thought that the 49ers had turned a corner and boy, have they, judging by this score. You know, they're still a team that's dealing with a lot of issues. They're down another running back this week. So they are still going to have to walk a fine balancing act. But I mean, look, Charles, the question I was going to ask you, you've been a football fan for how long now? What, three years, perhaps? Three or four? Three or four. I don't need you to be accurate here because I think that the answer would be the same if you were going to say 10 years. Have you ever seen a Patriots scoreline look like this? No. And the thing that surprised me the most is probably less the Patriots 6 and more the 49ers 33. The one thing that you can normally always rely on the Patriots for is some level of defense. And that did not show up this game. Like, yeah, sure, the offense might not always be completely scintillating. 
but I have never seen a Patriots defensive performance as bad as this one. Yeah, that's a real good comment there. I forget which player it was, but there was a touchdown that 49ers scored and it was Stefan Gilmore. Stefan Gilmore basically went in for a tackle and he totally, totally missed the player he was tackling. Literally just ran past, I think it was Wilson. And you don't see Gilmore normally doing that. Nearly every single Patriot player played below the standard that you would normally expect for them. The offense was just uh, atrocious. It seems like Cam Newton has, has gone off on COVID and forgotten who his teammates are. He was throwing balls like Edelman, missing him by a couple of yards. He was throwing like 20-yard passes into the ground. It was ugly stuff, really, wasn't it? I've got a few plays here that I listed out as being quite notable. So, Cam, on a third and four, threw the ball one yard in the air. On a third and five, tossed the ball just two yards in the air. On a third and five again, heaved the ball into the ground. Wow. And it landed nowhere near a receiver. You know, he was just so off. And I know that last week they got blown out and Cam looked dreadful. And I put that down as being a lack of blockers and Cam being under pressure a lot. This week, he did that regardless of whether there was pressure or not. He was just bad. And I think actually that goes to show that there's something wrong here and whether it's side effects of covid you know we saw sam donald come back from mono and suffer for a long period of time or whether it's something else but cam is not the player that we saw earlier on in the season Uh, he barely even scrambled this week what do you think this means for cam because he's currently on a veteran minimum salary which obviously expires at the end of this year do you think he's getting a contract with the patriots at the end of this year do you think that he'll get a sizable contract anywhere what do you think this means for him? That's a really good question. I I mean, obviously, we saw Cam get benched this week after his third pick, yep. which I thought was a brave thing for Belichick to do. But actually, if there was one coach that was going to do it, it would be Belichick. He does not reward bad performance. I think that Belichick has potentially realized in that moment that Cam is not fit to play quarterback for them at the moment. And I think it will pass. Personally, I think it is the residual effects of COVID. Okay. And I think once he's recovered from that, I think we'll start to see the Cam that we saw at the beginning of the season back in, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks. And I think he'll have a strong finish to the season, which will hopefully earn him that contract. The only thing I'd caveat with that, though, Charles, is that Newton was allegedly asymptomatic with his COVID. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't like that he'd been... is interesting. Okay, he's not been ill with it. No, no, no. It wasn't like he had a fever or a cough or breathlessness or anything like that. Like some symptoms people have, he was asymptomatic. I think if the reports are to be believed, so I think that's a, a nice theory to have. And I think Newton will probably appreciate you uh, giving him that slack. But I'm not sure if it's an excuse that really has much weight. Then the only thing I can think is, is is there an injury which hasn't been reported, which if that is true is very naughty, but it's such a departure from his normal performance. I can't put it down to just there being no external factor. I hear you on that one. Let's move on. Jaguars charges. Yeah, so we both got this right. I think I was slightly closer. You had it by a field goal. It ended up being by 10 points. Herbert gets his first win which is lovely to see. Yeah. Certainly well earned after the performances. He looked really good, didn't he? He just yeah, had again, poise. For what? His third, fourth week in a row? And, yeah. you know, obviously this is against the Jags, which is a slightly different competition than he's been facing the last few weeks. But he went toe-to-toe with Tom Brady. He's gone toe-to-toe with Drew Brees. He's made two mistakes in his four starts, so far four or five starts. There was one mistake in the first game when he threw an interception when he had no need to throw that interception whatsoever I mean he did something similar the week after they're the only standout mistakes I can think of in all of the play that he's had so far I like Burrow I think what Burrow's doing is really good I think Burrow had a great game this week but if you're asking me in a race right now because these are the only two quarterbacks who are in this race two is coming into it a bit late but if you're asking me in a race for rookie of the year and it probably will be one of his quarterbacks I've got to put Herbert in front right now. Herbert's been playing really, really well. He's, he's he's just impressed me with how mature he's looked there. I think the Chargers are really onto a winner there. 
Two things I'd say about the Jags. One, the Jags defense without Miles Jack is one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Not to take anything away from Herbert, but it's dreadful. And until they get him back, they are going to continue to struggle. And something that you mentioned last week, which I think we're just seeing more of this week, is, you know, magic of the mustache is wearing off. And my question to you is, do you think that there's a risk that he gets benched anytime soon? Yes and no. Like the magic of the mustache and all that kind of thing, I think it was more the intangibles that Garner Minshew brought to the team with that infectiousness, that kind of balls out alpha kind of mentality that he kind of had. You know, Minshew, he wasn't terrible. He was 14 of 27, 173 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. How many times do you think he got sacked though, Jazz? No idea. Tell me. Five. Oh, ouch. Gardner Minshew had more sacks than the Jets had yards in the second half. That's pretty dreadful. That's a horrible stat for two teams right there, really, isn't it? Yeah, it really, really is. His quarterback rating was 96.7, which is not bad at all. So Minshew wasn't great, but this Jags team, after winning their first game, or what, one and six now, um, they're going to have a high pick. They're going to have two high picks, aren't they? Because haven't they got another pick in the first round? Yeah, I think they've got two first round picks. Yeah, so let's be honest. I think this is a team that's starting to think about the draft next year. I think that if he declares, if he braves going to New York, everyone knows that Trevor Lawrence is going first if he goes. But then anywhere from second pick to sixth pick, you could have Fields going as well. So there's a lot of teams currently sat on one win. Is it possible that the Jaguars go for someone like Fields next year? Mm. Okay, then. Let's move on to... Cardinal Seahawks, what a game. You called this one correctly, Joe. Well done on backing the Cardinals for this. Thank you. What do you think about that game then? Don't get me wrong. I still rate the Seahawks. I still think they're a good team. They've still got to be one of the favourites to go to Super Bowl from the NFC. That said, though, this has kind of been due with how the defence has been playing. You can't play defence like the Seahawks have over the last few games and not expect the team to finally put up a score against you and you not have Wilson get you out of it. This was probably... You know, with a stat line of the amount of interceptions that he threw, which I think was free, this was probably Wilson's worst game. He just didn't look as sparky as he has looked through the first six games. So when Wilson can't dig you out a hole, this defense is is eventually going to put you in a hole that's a little bit too big to get out of, and that's what eventually happened here. But if fair play to Murray and the Cardinals, they took advantage of that, and there were a few players on that Cardinals team who had themselves a day. What did you think, Charles? Yeah, it's funny, actually, because I know we had the conversation last week about who was going to get that wildcard spot out of the Chargers, the Cardinals and the 49ers. And I was watching this and I said the Cardinals and I thought I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was going, yeah, you know, the Cardinals are good. I like them. I back them. But then I realized the 49ers absolutely destroyed the Patriots. And the Rams beat the 5-1 and one Bears. So if anything, it's just proven that it's going to be a hell of a race for that wildcard spot. Is it possible now, and I'm just spitballing here, with the new seven playoff format for four teams from one division to go to playoffs? I don't even know. I would have thought the maths make that very unlikely. Because all these teams have got to play each other. so Each other, yeah. Probably one of these teams will miss out, yeah. Probably one will, but look, if any division was going to do it, it's the NFC West right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're a highly competitive division. There were a fair few mistakes by both teams in this game, but it was a really fun game to watch. There were some drops and fumbles and picks, but actually there were some really impressive moments as well. We saw Drake get injured in the fourth, which was a real shame. But even before that, he had 14 carries for 34 yards. And then when Edmonds took over... He ended up with 58 yards from just five carries, but he also caught seven passes for 87 yards. Do you think that with Drake now being out for several weeks, there's a risk that that split might look different when he comes back or not? What I would say is I think that the way the Cardinals play and the way that Kyler Murray plays, I think that Edmonds fits into that system slightly better than what Drake does. Or the way that Drake is being used doesn't fit in as well as the way that Edmonds is being used. I would say that's more accurate because we've seen that Drake actually can fit in very well to this Cardinals team. Look at last week. Right. And look at the end of last season. 
He was playing phenomenally. But it's one of those weird situations where they don't seem to be using him right in almost the same way that the Bengals used Mixon last year. You know, very capable pass catcher, barely using him for that. Kenyon Drake, in a very similar fashion, very capable pass catcher, but he's not seeing those air targets and they're just not using him in the same way that they were using him last year. And he had great success last year. It feels a bit odd to me. Yeah, let's see what happens. I'm reserving judgment. I still like Drake. I think Drake is one of the most explosive players in the league. It's a shame he's got the injury. He looked really in distress with that injury. Fortunately, though, if you looked at how upset he was, I thought that it was a season ender. I think it's three to four weeks that he's going to be out. This game was great. I think that anyone listening, if you missed the games last week and you want to catch up with one or watch extended highlights of one, watch the highlights of this one. There's one highlight I want to talk about, Charles. I think you want to talk about it as well. It's got to be done. DK Metcalf. A defensive play of the year, basically. From an offensive player. I mean, how did someone as big as Metcalf turn on the afterburners like that? It was so impressive. It's always hard to uh, describe a play over a podcast. But basically, for those who haven't seen it, Russell Wilson dinked a pass over a linebacker about five yards out from a goal line. He kind of put it up there. Buddha Baker saw exactly what he was doing. Buddha Baker intercepted it basically on the goal line over near the right corner. Metcalf was about 10 yards away facing the other way. Baker was off to the races, like literally accelerated, gone. Somehow Metcalf turned around and chased him down. It took him 90 yards, but he closed 10 yards and managed to catch up with him. The hustle was outrageous. Buddha Baker ran a 4.45 40-yard dash at the combine. So he's fast. He was like men and boys. Absolutely stunning play. What's your view on it, Charles? I think you've painted the picture with words beautifully, (laughs) Joe. It's exactly that. I just couldn't believe what I was witnessing. I had to like rewind it so many times to just watch it over and over again. I've not watched any play as much as that. I've watched it so many times, right? Look out for number 98, Corey Peters. No one's talking about this, right? But Corey Peters was a long way down the field. He tried to take out DK Metcalf when Metcalf was chasing Baker down. And Metcalf was going so fast that by the time that Peters had put his head down for the tackle, Metcalf was already about three yards in front of him. It just absolutely blitzed him. It would have been a different story had Peters kind of taken out Metcalf, but it wasn't to be. And Metcalf made a tackle. And Metcalf actually saved seven points there because rather than go for the field goal when they went free, they went for fourth down conversion, failed it. So Metcalf saved seven points there. Great play, great hustle, one of the plays of the year. Yeah. So that leads us on to our final game where the Rams beat the Bears 24 to 10. Again, that went largely how we predicted it, Joe. And again, I have to say, it was another repeat performance of the Bears defense being very impressive and the Bears offense being average and in this case, letting them down. Yeah, these are two similar teams here. They're both defense first teams. The quarterbacks on both teams looked really sketchy in this game. I'm not going to lie. I watched probably the first two quarters and maybe half of the third quarter. And the amount of just passes that just like Foles and Goff were missing. Foles looked really, really bad the first half. He was just missing open receivers and on easy throws. Like not throwing into any coverage at all, just missing men. I feel sorry for the defences on these teams because the defences on both the Bears and the Rams are championship standard defences. And they're just going to be let down ultimately by quarterbacks and the offenses of these teams. You win championships with defenses, but you still need your offenses to be at least average. And they're not at least average. They're just not anywhere near that. The Bears and Rams aren't going to win anything this year. They'll creep into playoffs and they'll probably be one and done playoff teams at best. That's how I see it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And it wasn't until this game that I actually realised how similar the two teams were. So similar. But watching them play against each other, they they suffered from the same problems and they were effective in the same areas. And I just thought, wow, the Rams and Bears are basically the same team. And it doesn't make for a very exciting game, really, because... At all. Like, the only time where that's good is if they're both super strong on offense and they're throwing bombs and you get a shootout. When you've just got two teams who are good at D and two sucky offenses, it's not that exciting at all. Most important thing from this game is we kind of touched on it previously. These are potentially two teams who are going to be in the wildcard playoff hunt. 
and the Rams have now got a win over the Bears. So if they end up with similar records, and at the minute both teams are sat on 5-2, and two, this will be the tiebreaker. So that's the most important thing to come out of this game. The Rams have massively increased their chances of playoffs by beating the Bears. Yeah, very good point. And with Green Bay probably looking like the winners of the NFC North, this seriously affects the Bears' chances of making playoffs in a wildcard spot. Even though going into this round of games, the Bears were top of the NFC North, which kind of felt quite fraudulent, but there you go. Right, then let's move on to our predos for next let's week. Let's zip through these because we've been talking quite a bit, haven't we? Kicking us off on the Thursday night game, we have Falcons at the Panthers. Panthers. Panthers by seven. I got Panthers by 14. <laughs> You're so off the focus now, aren't you? <laughs> I've been burnt, Joe, and I don't like it. Patriots at Bills. I'm going to go Patriots, mate. Oh, wow. I'm going to go Patriots by one. Okay, I'm going Bills by 10. Okay. Titans against Bengals. I'm going Titans, I think, by 10. I'm going Titans by seven. I think Joey B will keep him in the game. Yeah, I think Joey B will keep him in the game as well, but I just I don't know if the Bengals have a good enough D to stop Henry from creating a bit of separation. Very good point. Raiders at Browns. Uh, Raiders by 14. Oh, that's quite a big call, mate. I'm going Raiders by three. I think the Raiders have a very potent offense and the Browns have a great defense. Could be close, but I just, I'm not convinced with Mayfield. It's just that Raiders O-line isn't what it was. And, you know, no, you're right. And you got Miles Garrett in there and, you know, he's one of the defensive players of the year so far. So let's see what yeah, happens. He's been stellar. Colts at Lions. So we didn't see Colts play this week. They were on a bye. I think this one's going to be a close one. I'm going Colts by three. You know what, mate? I'm going to say Colts by 14. <laughs> okay. Okay, into some more NFC North teams. Vikings at Green Bay. Can I just say on uh, Pickham's, this has Vikings at 1%. And Green Bay at 99%. I'm sure it's going to be some games where teams have even less chance, according to the fans and the Vikings deal. We'll get onto that very shortly. I think Packers by 14. I'm going to go along with that, mate. I'm I'm giving up on this season for the Vikings. It's just too <laughs> sad. Yeah, Green Bay by two scores. Yeah. Jets against the Chiefs. Cheers for the people who listen at home. Um, we go through the... Uh, nflpickem.com list because it just means that we're both looking at the same list and it makes it easier for us to talk to each other you've got a range of percentages of what people are voting for i don't think i've ever seen a hundred percent of the people who have voted on this vote for one team but we're looking at this right now zero percent of voters have voted for the jets i'm not going to add to that are you going to add to that no god no no just how much do you think the chiefs are going to win by this speaks to a blowout but i just wonder if you know, concentration's going to mean that that might not be the case. I think I'm only going to say 17. At what point do you think they put Mahomes on the bench to keep him healthy because the game is already won? <laughs> I don't think he's at any risk of getting injured against the Jets. Fair play. Right. I'm going to say that Mahomes isn't going to see the fourth quarter. He'll be safely tucked into the bench watching the game by then. <laughs> I'm going Chiefs by the biggest scoreline I've ever said. I'm going Chiefs by 31. Okay. Rams at the Dolphins. I think this is going to be very interesting, especially with Tua starting. It literally could go anyway, mate. We could see Tua totally. just, just come out and blow us away, or we could see him have a very, very ugly full debut getting murked by um, Aaron Donald. My heart says I'd like to see him play well. My head says you're playing against Donald. So I'm going to go Rams, even though I don't really think they're a complete team. I just think the defense is good. Yeah, maybe I'm a romantic. I'm going Dolphins by three. Are you? Okay, I'm going Rams by Rams by three. Cool. Right, probably the game of the week. I'm really looking forward to this one. Steelers at Ravens. You know my view on the Ravens. I'm massively high on them. I think they will edge this. I've got Ravens by seven. I'm going Steelers by three. It's going to be a hell of a game. It's going to be a hell of a game. I really think the Steelers are a legit team completely agree they have overperformed my expectations and i already going into the season was quite high on them but they look seriously impressive i just haven't seen them play against a team as defensively good as the ravens yet in my opinion i'm i'm high on the ravens d you know that okay Chargers broncos 
Yeah, I'm going Chargers by 14 based on what I saw against the Chiefs. Yeah, Chargers by 10 for me. Saints at the Bears. I'm going Saints by three. Saints by 10 for me. Okay. I think Breeze is streetwise enough to deal with most of what the Bears will throw against him. He's seen everything before. And then the Bears just aren't going to score on the Saints very much. That's how I see it. 49ers at Seahawks. I think the 49ers could put up a fight, but for me, I've got Seahawks by 10. You know what, mate? I'm going 49ers by three. Okay, nice. That'll be interesting to see. Like I said last week, I think this is the start of the 49ers recovery train. And then the Sunday night late game, another NFC East spectacular, Cowboys at Eagles. I mean, can't see beyond the Eagles, but I don't think it'll be a very pretty game. I think Eagles by 10. If the Cowboys had Dalton playing, it would certainly be closer. I'd be giving it three-point swing kind of either way. But with the Cowboys playing third-string quarterback, I can't see past the Eagles, but it's not anything to brag about being the Cowboys, is it? Eagles by 10, yeah, why not? Then finally, Buccaneers at New York Giants. Oh, see, I think this could be a beatdown. Yeah. I'm going to say Bucks by 21. You know what, mate? Yeah, I think you're right. Bucks by... Mate, they beat the Raiders by 25. They did, but the Raiders have zero pass rush. Yeah, but the Giants have got like zero scoring capability. True, very Uh, true. Yes, uh, Bucks by 31. Woo, you got some spicy predictions in there. You got some high scoring games, man. Both of the New York teams I see getting spanked by 31 points this week. We're talking Tabasco in the eye territory, that level of heat. Tabasco in the eye. And actually, I've only got three of the home teams winning this week. No, four. Panthers, Packers, Chiefs and Eagles. Let's see. Mate, it's been a good show. Enjoyed it this week. Absolutely. Let's see what Game Week 8 brings. Yeah, and I promise that this week I will have the predictions on the website all nice. So if people want to visit the website, we'd love to see what you think. We'd love to hear from anyone who wants to email in the show. Any questions, comments, hit them with the address, Chaz. It's playsheetpodcast at gmail.com. Couldn't be simpler. That's the one. It's been fun, guys. Speak to you all next week. Speak to you next week.